you're putting in your service or credentials. Maybe you're sharing a little bit about your filing status and your income and you see what you're eligible for, basically. And so, and you're able to enroll. And about half the borrowers save money and to financially benefit from just that flow. So we talk about 22 million Americans today that save money that way. The most common cause of bad customer experience isn't that high tech. It's embarrassingly simple. Yup, it's answering questions. In e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with common questions, whether that's, where's my package? How do I return or exchange this item? Or just to cancel a subscription? DolphPath is an AI-driven customer support system that enhances the customer experience with visual formats and self-serve technology to empower your customers to handle their own support requests. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get SolvePath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. You're now listening to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential.com and sign up for Fintech Confidential information at access.fintechconfidential.com. Bobby, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You and I have talked a little bit about this, but student debt continues to impact more and more Americans. And even the Federal Reserve, the College Board, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and even LendingTree have identified that about 46 million Americans have racked up, hopefully everybody's sitting in their seats, about $1.75 trillion in student debt. And they're having more and more trouble paying it off. And that's where pay it off comes into play. More than 11% of those were 90 days late or were in default even before they got halted by the coronavirus pandemic relief measures. Now, with me having one child that's exiting university and another one starting it, the numbers are really shocking to me. And I'm glad to see that you are taking on this issue with pay it off. It's a really important issue. I think that one of the things, because I've had six-figure student loans that kept me from starting a family, it's just very personal. This is something where I was dealing with it couldn't even think about having a mortgage when you have that kind of debt. And you have other types of debt alongside it too. It's not an isolated issue, but it is the one that's the hardest to to understand. It's student debt is like really emotional because you're essentially taking out debt for your brain. So it's a very different type of debt. Before we dive into why pay it off exists and what it's doing and how it works, tell me about your falling into fintech story. Falling into fintech, it's interesting. It was like I mentioned, very personal to me. But the uh, the thing that's interesting is I spent a lot of my time historically in my career being an engineer or an engineering lead at companies that help people make decisions. Like Fandango is one where it helps you find a theater near you, helps you find a movie time, Groupon helping you find deals, and even Prosper helping you find a line back in like 2013. So I spent a lot of time working on APIs, different interfaces, onboarding experiences that were tied to 
helping people make decisions. And software is really good at that. Software is great at taking a context and uh, finding its way to a solution. And when I realized that no one had really taken that approach in the student loan arena or in the debt management arena, that people were still using Reddit primarily to solve this problem or spreadsheets that they were cobbling together, I realized there had to be a better way. So that it was definitely not a, hey, I need to start a fintech company itself. I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford having kids at all or starting a family unless I do something about this now. So it's really a personal need that drove it. So I spent a lot of time researching and trying to understand each regulation in this space and codifying that so that we can solve it for ourselves. So that's really how I fell into fintech. It was personally need and really tied to a very difficult experience. These are the types of things where there's such a lack of clarity in the space that you don't even know what you don't know. Most borrowers have some option and they just don't know that they're eligible or they don't know what exactly they can do next. And in fact, as we dug deeper into the space, like most financial apps did now, most financial advisors had trouble figuring it out. Most people in general, even the policymakers had trouble articulate, articulating how these things worked. We found a lot of confusion. And whenever there's a lot of confusion in an industry, whenever there's a market where there's just, it's really hard and there's not a clear answer, but it's clear software could help it. That's when I realized, hey, there might be, this might be more than just our solution for us. You did this for yourself personally first. What was that first proof of concept really like? And what was that aha moment that, that got you to go, yeah, this is something that, that my friends, my family, heck, general public could use. What was that? What was that first like proof of concept in that aha moment? Yeah, I remember a lot of it very vividly, actually. So the first part was, hey, this worked for us. It wasn't anything fancy at the time. It was building a basic engine for us. The thing about the engine is that it improves the more cases you look at. Everyone's case is pretty different. So at first it was scoped or married in use case. Us having a certain type of loan type when we took out loans. So, you know... The good news for our case is that we did save tens of thousands of dollars. We were able to actually get outcomes from the system. And that actually was what led me to, at the time, I was not thinking of a company. And this is just my wife and I'd be like, dang, we like save this much money. And here's what we're doing with this. And we can actually family plan. And that wasn't really anything I thought it would be like, I thought it might be a useful app. I didn't know if it would be anything more than that. but. Uh, when I realized there was a market and a business is that friends and friends of friends were starting to ask, hey, can you run my numbers? Can you run my numbers? And they were getting options too. They were getting some visibility, clarity, and some savings. So when I realized that almost everybody had some savings opportunity that they could leverage. And then when someone said to me, a friend of a friend, can I just like pay you a hundred dollars for this? Like to just do this stuff, like just putting money where the interest was. I was like, okay, but there's definitely something there. I, it's worth an, a year of my time to figure this out and see if there's like actually an opportunity. And that's, I've been kind of looking for that. I'd worked on a dozen other 
different projects, but this was one that it just, I kept coming back to it. People kept asking about it. I kept just kind of gravitating to it. And then I quit my job September, 2017 and went full in at that point, just because I had, we had saved, I already saved people so much money. I'm like, geez, I mean, it feels like everybody in America with this tech could benefit from this. So why not expose it? At the very least, you help a lot of people save a lot of money. And it was at that point that I just studied the industry and like who the players were and why it ended up in this situation. So it took about three business models till we raised any money or really found the high growth opportunity. But those early days really informed the company strategy to this day. Having that personal perspective of the pain helps drive our strategy. And I think those are the pieces that make us different. It's, it's a really personal thing. And that's the way we view it. We're very far, we're focused, even though we serve partners like fintechs and banks through our API. What are some of the major lessons that from your time working with Carbon5, shipping software for like millions of users at companies that we talked about, Groupon, I think you mentioned Fandango, mm -hmm. Prosper's another one you mentioned that served you best with starting and building up pay it off they all had different different sort of influences on my skill set so i'd say they were an amalgamation of those experiences is what helped me execute well in this space but with those stick out of sandango just because it's so relevant right you have a you have to have a lot of the same variables to what you need to find out the best next step for your debt it's you need to have a all the like the right inputs. You need to have very reliable data. Where is that person at right now? Where do they? Where are they located in their device? And what are the two options they're most likely to click on? And so that are best for them. What is the best fit for that bar and just or that user in that moment? And I think building up, we would build up. Oh, there's all sorts of strategies for this, but one of the primary ones that really influenced pay it off was you build up a map of all the possibilities. You simulate all the potential things that could be, and then you traverse the map. And those are the types of abstractions you can build if you've done it before. So it was just a lot easier to kind of arrive at the paths finding algorithm when you've kind of been in that environment before. You've seen those problems exist and you've seen that solution be a really good fit. So that was like the first thing that, that I went to. It's like, hey, the, you could simulate adding an extra dollar every month. Uh, and then you can actually chart the savings. And then actually there's some reaction to that big savings, specifically with prepayment. You can definitely overpay when you prepay and you can prove that <laughs> mathematically. So those are things, those are the types of things we'll look at and like just nerd out about in general. We talked about coming up to the point where you decided to, to go all in and to spend, I think you said a year really focusing in to seeing what was behind it. Now it's been five years <laughs> that you've been working on pay it off. Tell me about what that journey's been like. I'm assuming that it's not been just like a nice straight linear path with everybody throwing rose petals at your feet. Yeah. <laughs> no rose petals. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, the reality is, we see a lot and we've saw a lot the past couple of years. It always looks like, hey, companies started and they got really fast, really quickly. And those things like can be good, but they're never 
they're pretty rare. In most company building experiences, you're going to go through, you're going to want as many at-bats as is possible. And you're going to want to make sure and gut check yourself against, is it worth my time on? It's like, you have to remember that your time's valuable when you're building a company and that every hour is very valuable. So in that first year, what I was, I just focused on like staying accountable each year. And I still am where, okay, what are the goals for my first year was just, are you able to monetize? Is there like a monetize, a path to revenue? that could that you could generate here. And so that was a focus for me that most people say focus on growth over revenue, but I, I just felt like I needed to know that there was a way to monetize this. And then that helped year two out where I was basically ROM and profitable. We started with more direct to consumer building plans for people. Hey, come spend a hundred dollars and get your plan. So that's really what the first model was. I knew that direct to consumer wasn't the scalable model. I just wanted to be able to take a variety of inputs and prove some of the revenue opportunities. We looked at like maybe five or six channels that, that got semi-serious. I probably looked at dozens, colleges, and all these places where this could live. And what I realized though, is that financial advisors started pinging me and saying, Hey, can you just do this for my clients? Or can I just do this through your tool? And that actually opened up a pretty interesting place because I saw a market where no VC would invest for the most part, a niche tool in a niche market. I knew that there was no help they were getting. I knew that I was capable of building a thing and interface and an interface that they could use that would give them the ability to produce guidance. So some value they could provide. So I just found a very underserved market, which I would say if you're early stage and you're looking the more niche, the better, in my opinion. Focus on a really defensible niche because we still use a lot of that. We still have a tool used by dozens and dozens of RIAs today. And the thing still works. But we basically started with that advisor market and thought through it, thought through the real pain points of like, how do you provide guidance in this space? And then we figured out how to automate that so that you could just do that in an application. And that was the third model of, hey, we're making revenue on this advisor product. There's very few players in the space that can really do this. And then that led to what about like the neobanks of the world or any bank or like any financial app has these, that's where people are. That's where they're actually interacting. That's where they're looking for guidance. That was when it, we transitioned into the API, had a giant wait list for it. And it was just surfacing basic things like, what are your repayment options? What are so, your forgiveness options? Things like that, that even student loan apps didn't have access to that kind of help. How long did it take you to get to that point where you realized building out the APIs was, was going to be a really big thing for you? I had started interviewing with and doing customer discovery on early stage student loan apps. I had spent a lot of time with folks who had built all sorts of different applications in the space and just trying to understand their problems. Because I knew that they responded well to this. It could be a more generalized solution for other types of fintechs. And that was where, so yeah, I spent plenty of time wondering if this, there could be an API option here. The really where I said, okay, this could be like a whole new category of company was when mm -hmm. 
I just put up a splash page and it was like June of 2019. And I was like, let's see who signed up for the wait list. And then sent out a couple of emails. And that really generated a lot of that early demand where people were like, I want to see repayment options. And at the time, Plaid Liabilities was just coming out. So it was built in a way where you could work with, you could use liabilities and then you could pipe that data to us and we provide insights and intelligence on. So what are your repayment options? All those different things. So really the guidance engine tied to that data. So that was the initial go-to-market motion. So that I could see a lot of folks like really quickly sign up for the wait list, ask a lot of questions. They wanted definitely to see what are the capabilities here because it will take me three years to build this engine. Once we knew that we were really valuable to student loan apps through this API approach, it really validated them that there was a there for the API. Because you really only want to service an API as if there's some unique piece of your technology that's hard to replicate. An API is just a conduit. It's just a, a, a way that uh, a partner interacts with your app. We've evolved since then and become a lot more than that where we have different workflows. We're more embeddable now than any of our prior sort of products. But early days, it was API because we could just surface existing functionality that we knew no one could really touch at the time. It was difficult to build from scratch. What are some of the ways that people are using Paidoff's low-code tools and APIs to get borrowers the best repayment outcomes today? Today, it's interesting. So we do offer our primary product is guidance, our guidance product that I've been talking about. But what we've evolved to is that we provide a lot more than that. We're actually also working directly with servicers and have the ability to sync a borrower's account directly with the servicer and provide guidance on that data. Without you as a partner or fintech being to know anything about student loans, anything about debt, to provide an outcome. So it's things like finding a federal repayment plan that's best for them. Income-driven plans are really attractive financially for borrowers, for instance. Forgiveness options, there's hundreds, hundreds of them out there, loan assistance programs. So those are all the things that, it's basically fine found money for these borrowers. They don't know about though, but literally every borrower has some option. So that's how we'll essentially surface these opportunities and then also perform an action. That's the third step of our flow typically is some sort of linking process, a best next step, and then an action on that. You can do any of that through the API or through an embeddable workflow that's custom to the partner. So these are all things that we provide. We really think of ourselves as like the Legos in this space where we're, you can put the Legos together in a way that works for you, or you can buy the Star Wars kit or Death Star or whatever you want pre-built so these types of, that's really the way we think about it. And we're seeing a lot more demand for the abstractions that we expected. I think we expected everyone to want the API and a lot of people want a combination that's relevant to, to their use case. What are some of the creative ways you've seen paid off APIs and, and the low code stuff be used that really surprised you? Some of the ways that were surprising, some of it was not surprising, I'll say. Since we move money to servicers, moving money to, we move you can specify a loan. And if you're a student loan contribution company or you're trying to offer student loan benefits, you can bolt us on and you've got out of the box student loan benefits that are tax deductible. So there's some use cases where we're like, hey, we really knew going into this. Big use case. 
the same thing with surfacing repayment options. But I think what I've been impressed by even some of our earliest customers like Chipper, they have, they were really stretching the limits of the API, really using, and there's a few other examples of this from our further base, that they were asking us for certain features and certain functionality that we just hadn't exposed. We had it available. Things like, hey, I want to see all the repayment options with the PSLF overlay, which is a specific public service related benefit. And the reality was we had that capability and we just surfaced it for them. So there's all these different unique sort of pieces of the pie that we don't even know are as valuable. So that those things are always surprised whenever someone said, hey, I love this, but I just really want this piece that you didn't understand was so important to them. And it could be important to hundreds of other apps out there. That's what we try to pay attention to. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything. We've had a lot of use cases in scholarship automation tools. Anyone who does automation at BASPA, and this is a very much a, a very... That one surprised me a lot, but the use case is definitely, hey, how do you retain, you've got all these students, but if you have five million, four million people on your platform and they're all students, about a million are going to graduate each year if they're all undergrad. We help retain that user because we handle all the student loans. That was another surprising one is that working with fintechs that focused on the student. I didn't expect that as much as we've seen. We've seen a lot of demand for it. Most of it, I'm just going to be honest, I didn't know what half of those acronyms meant, but that just tells you about how complex this ecosystem has become. And the fact that you're simplifying it for the consumers and for the lenders, tell me about like how you're simplifying it. Because you mentioned a couple things, but give us a, that nice, clean outline of a simplification that you're really providing. The simplification is in taking a loan data or a group of loans that a bar is late and just one or two inputs from the user and we could save them like hundreds of dollars a month. And so the borrower just sees what's available, one or two, A or B. This one saves me more money. Okay, that's the choice I want to make. I save money in the long run and I save on my monthly payments. And then in three more clicks, they are in the plan. They're, they have that outcome. So the way we think about it is the least amount of user involvement to get the outcome. They should have agency and clarity. That's always the goal there. You mentioned it really well. This is like acronym city. <laughs> so the reality is I can definitely get the weeds too much. I definitely have the knowledge curse. That's another one I'd say that founders should watch out for is um, in early sales context, especially, I would just go right into the weeds when they, what you don't really need to. The reality is you're just surfacing opportunities that the borrowers doesn't know they have, but they do have. So it's at least for us, it's just as a user, you're putting in your service or credentials. Maybe you're sharing a little bit about your filing status and your income, and you see what you're eligible for and you're able to enroll. And about half the borrowers save money and financially benefit from just that flow. So you're about 22 million Americans today that save money that way. In my head, immediately the types of competitors that come to mind are, are loan servicing companies, but that's not really who you see yourself competing against. You mentioned that companies like Plaid and Rightfoot that also have APIs that are focused on lowering consumer debt burdens and managing consumer finances are really your competitor. 
Tell me how you guys compare to that. For starters, the servicers, we really view as industry participants. They want, they've put in this position where they need to do what Department of Ed says, if that's their client. They just have certain regulations to follow. And then these programs are so complex that even servicers have had a lot of issues being able to respond to all the ways that the Department of Education wants these programs to exist. So the way we view servicers is more as a supplier. And also we really help them because we're helping more borrowers get in the repayment without making that phone call. Scott Buchanan, who is an official advisor to the company and who runs the Student Loan Servicing Alliance. The Student Loan Servicing Alliance in the student loan ecosystem, it's really the liaison between all the servicers and a really important association. We regularly speak at their annual meetings. We're really very engaged. I just set up a panel two weeks ago at their annual meeting talking about employer benefits in student loans. We seek to help servicers in their engagement moving forward and to help automate a lot of the things that right now are very costly to them, frankly. What's interesting, though, is when you look at competition from like fintech side of things, plan liabilities help surface connections to servicer accounts. They do credit cards and mortgages, but it's a really thin product. You're going to have some data here and some data there. Student loans are super thin, and it makes it hard to actually provide guidance. They're all flavored a bit differently. I think right foot is an abstraction layer that sits on top of Dwala and Plaid and sort of is dependent on that data stream. So very different product than when you're working with us. The value is in automating guidance, savings, and those are the things that a borrower wants. That's why we ended up focusing on those pipes ourselves and building them proprietary. I'm actually really happy there's more sort of debt API focused companies out there. You're seeing more and more. I hope there's a dozen of that a year from now because it just means that the market itself is maturing and you're seeing more and more capabilities in the space. So I'm expecting to see more. And I think that there's just like pros and cons to working with each type of debt API. With the credit markets tightening up, how do you see Paydoff helping your customers through that process? It's interesting because we've gone through the past two years of payment pods. We've seen a variety of different sort of cash infusions with the stimulus checks and all these different things. So just from an macroeconomic level, there's a lot of cash in the system. I'm assuming we're seeing inflation now, but what's typical of debt is that it's a, a counter cyclical type of opportunity for us where now you're seeing this great sort of squeeze, interest rates rising, borrowers are looking more and more at like, hey, should I consolidate my debt? How do I make sure my payments don't go crazy? Their costs are rising like nuts. So they need to find savings opportunities way more than they did over the past two years. So I, I think our timing on this is really, really good because we can make broad impact with this technology. And the next couple of years are going to be about looking at that, the average person's bottom line. The, the debt repayment outcome becomes very important. When you drive delinquencies, you really don't want borrowers just defaulting because they don't understand the debt. Uh, that they've taken on. So I think we're going to see a lot in buy now, pay later too, that we're planning to help out with in terms of just providing clarity and opportunities for better outcomes there. But I'm expecting a lot of tailwinds in the general debt space. Obviously, what we do is we automate every aspect of debt management for financial apps. So we're embeddable within any debt vertical. So that's where what we're that's what we're actually doing today outside of student loans because you have to have the holistic context in order to really help the borrower 
with more than the student loan problem. Student loan problems are on fire, but if you have somebody with four credit cards and a mortgage, they have a whole other set of problems. That's where we've evolved to naturally. We always knew we were going to go there. This student loan payment pause ends. You mentioned with resuming all of the forbearance and the payments for all the student loans. Makes me think, putting on my capitalism brain, why would lenders want to support a tool like Pay It Off that essentially, when everything resumes, it starts to take money off the table and reduce their revenues? In student loans specifically, 90% of the loans are federal. So there is the lenders, the government, and the taxpayer technically. So the in most cases, there's also fellbacks loans that are privately backed, but they're now run by the federal government and guarantors. Where I'm going with this is that prepayment actually isn't a bad thing in most contexts. There's lots of forgiveness programs, lots of, like I've been mentioning, these repayment options that are income-driven. They're all government programs that are set up to help borrowers repay. And for the most part, prepayment isn't really viewed in that space as like a negative thing. There are definitely refi use cases where there's prepayment risk built into the model. I think delinquency risk is much higher weighted, which is what something we really help borrowers stay in repayment, stay current. That's really a big part of our place in the ecosystem. And everyone wants borrowers in repayment. People don't want to lose contact. Services don't want to lose contact with that borrower. They don't want to have them in a situation where they have, end up going and becoming a delinquent, default. That's a whole other ecosystem. <laughs> and so I think that when you look at other debts, though, there are absolutely use cases for prepayment. We may see some friction. It's just what happens when you innovate in a space is that there may be cases where there's certain cards programs that don't want prepayment, but that's not the only option to help the borrower. Prepayment actually is about, at least in student loans, about a third of borrowers benefit. Most are through federal programs or refi or things like that. The reality is when you look at the broader market of debt, when you look at all the different types of debt out there, the prepayment use case is just one of many. There's so many different ways that you can consolidate your loans or you can creatively refi or you can find better ways to prepay, balance transfers, things like that. And this is all activity that, by the way, banks want to encourage. They want some experience that helps drive product rather than just pushing, here's my personal loan. That doesn't have any meaning to the borrower. They want to build a relationship with that borrower. And that's where we come in is we're really helping create that experience that you can't really get anywhere else that a borrower's able to really save, you can build trust and it's a no-brainer. That'll really trump any sort of prepayment risk that you would see. We haven't seen that friction, to be totally honest, just because it's very competitive in this space. I'm sure we'll run up against it. We see all sorts of <laughs> see all sorts of things. Education seems to play a huge role in the debt repayment ecosphere. Tell me about how you see pay it off playing or helping in that educational space. If we do our jobs right, what this means is that every borrower is able to have a better financial outcome. So no more stories about public service loan forgiveness only accepting one percent of borrowers, but having terror like the inability for borrowers to repay, no more giant default rates. A borrower having clarity and agency over their debt is critical to a positive repayment experience. We have the rails that can drive those types of outcomes. If you look 10 years in the future where you're not really ever looking at Reddit to think about your debt, you're not, look, you're not trying to make decisions with your money 
based on pieces of information. Like it's already available to you. And I really think about us more and where we're, what we really unlocked in student loans that we're unlocking in other debts and eventually other financial products is this financial decision layer where you're just, you might not even be the one making the decision eventually with that. You set up your policy as a person on how you think about money or there's a way to inform that in some way. I think a lot about it more from right now, we're just seeing a lot of products where I, the user, have to do a lot of stuff to get good answers, just to get answers. And I think we're going to see that come to an end if we're able to help create new rails where borrowers don't have to do all this research, where the end user doesn't have to be inundated with like random offers and just randomly Google about things and maybe put something in a spreadsheet and do the half answer. That's way too much to ask of the average person. It's just cognitively very difficult. I do it more as like, you've had the plaid, there's like the yodelies and then the plaids, and then there's sort of us in the next round where it's the decisions on the important part. It's not so much the data. The data, we're still doing the data fight today, but over time that'll pan out and the decisioning is what's gonna be important um, to driving behavior. You've talked about a lot of the process you went through to build out, pay it off. You've talked about how customer feedback has impacted a lot of the things that you were doing and really how it was purpose built with a vision to support the debt repayment community to solve the problem that you had. If you were to start pay it off all over from scratch again, knowing what you know today, what is one thing that you would have done completely differently? Yeah, it's a tough one. I try to live under that like regret minimization idea where you're not really re- thinking back and going, oh, I should have done that. There's probably like at least a thousand things I've done wrong that I can totally do better. I would say though, if I were looking back on it, I do wish I had jumped in sooner. Like I think I'd spent a fair amount of time working on all sorts of different things. And I all of that helps with today. Being able to spin up a prototype for on my own Right. It's a very useful skill in my job. And I think I was really focused on being a technical CEO. I'd been a, I'd had a startup before pay it off before I was coding professionally. And I really wanted to, at the end of that journey, focus on being a strong technical leader. And I think there, I don't think you have to really wait and toward, towards the right time. Like, I think if you have something going on, I, I, you could be really aggressive and just Hey, I'm going to take a week and maybe some of my PTO time if I'm at a job to go try this thing out. And what are the two things, just being really intentional, what are the two things I need to say to myself to quit my job, right? Or to do something different. I think that there are certain people who, once you get the bug as an entrepreneur and you really enjoy it and something you live for, you shouldn't stop yourself from doing it. (laughs) You just need to... You need to be in a situation where you're, there's never enough like technical ability you'll have. Or I think if I look back, there's probably a couple of years there where I could have started earlier, gone on the journey a bit earlier and learned a lot more in the process. So that's the biggest thing I look back on and say, I spent about seven, eight years uh, being an engine lead, the IC engineer, working on all sorts of crazy stuff. And there is an inertia to that. I think it was started to become riskier to have a job on honestly than to take the risk. So looking back, maybe starting sooner. 
Going from technical founder, you've definitely dove into the business side of the house. And and really, I'm, I'm curious, what would you want to share with the audience that could change their business and or personal perspective on loan debt? What would that be? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that when people think about debt, they typically think there's only a couple options someone can do. And they typically think there's you can prepay or maybe you can refi or there's only like a few things you can do. But what I realized in digging and digging and digging in this space is that almost everybody has some option they don't know about. And I'd say everybody probably has some action they can take right now on their finances that they aren't. Us both included on this podcast. There's probably something I could be doing to better my financial health that I'm not doing today just because of the time it takes or the cognitive ability to get there. So it's the same thing in student loans is that that problem is magnified by 100x because it's so much more complex than any other debt. But I will say in debt in general, debt repayment, there's always some option and it's a lot more impactful to just unlock a little bit for a lot of people than you would think. Just a little bit of clarity, just a tiny bit of guidance and it can totally change the trust level with a whole segment, a whole audience. And I think that's really what we're focused on creating all those opportunities. You mentioned something that we'll probably have to do some other time, but I love the idea. You brought it up very last minute is the trust factor. That is huge, especially when you're talking about people's money. FinTech is is all about building up that trust. And I would love to hear more about that later. Is there anything that maybe I, I haven't covered that you wanted to, to make sure the audience knows and understands? And also, what's the best way to get a hold of paid off to see if it is a good fit for them? Yeah, I think going to payitoff.io, booking some time with our team is definitely the best way to do it. I'm at, I'm, you can just email me, Bobby at payitoff.io. It's the best way to get in touch with me. And, you know, the other thing that I would think about mentioning is if you're interested in exploring any sort of debt repayment tool, any sort of debt management solution, we're going to be at Money 2020 in a big way. So definitely come see us at our booth. They're just floating around. There's going to be a ton of our team there. We have a lot to say in this space. The timing's incredible. And we have a lot of opportunity in the next year or two. So even just taking a quick five to 10 minutes to learn where thing, where your use case could be, that would really be impactful to the business and the user you serve. And I think that's definitely something I want to make sure folks know about. Bobby, thank you so much for hopping on. You shared an amazing story of pay it off as well as your own personal story in the journey. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. Appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe to FinTech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential. Our show notes in each episode are available at www.fintechconfidential.com. And you can get FinTech Confidential information by signing up at access.fintechconfidential.com. If you want to be a guest on FinTech Confidential, submit your application at guest.fintechconfidential.com. FinTech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies to change how you pay and get paid.